This is Neon Radio, episode 106, The Science of Adventure with John Levy. Welcome to Neon Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Neon Radio. I am your host, Nick Onkin, and today's guest, we have a returning guest. His name is John Levy, and I'm excited to have him on again this time because he just came out with a book, and last time we talked about how to curate influencer dinners and curate an experience and bring people together. Well, this time, we're going to be talking to him about the science of adventure, something I've been waiting a long time to talk to him about since I've met him. And being a fellow adventurer, I love this subject. He's got many, many stories from around the world. So in this episode, John breaks down the four ingredients to a successful adventure and what makes it memorable. The thing that I love about this topic is that it is creating your moments and creating your moments is creating adventure that fulfills you and that is a highlight and and very memorable experiences and taking that initiative to create your life. And then it also translates into the process of creativity. And it we talk a lot about how you can apply these principles to your creative work, to break out of ruts, to do bigger creative projects and different things like that. So definitely go out and pick up John's book. We'll link it up in the show notes at neonradio.com slash EP106. Also, if you want to go check out his older episode where I interviewed him on creating dinner experiences and curating guests and connecting with high-level people, you can check that out at neonradio.com slash EP37. And neon is spelled N-I-O-N, just to clarify. So without further ado, I'm excited to bring to you the one, the only, Mr. John Levy. What is up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Neon Radio. We have a returning guest, a fine returning guest, Mr. John Levy. Welcome to the show again. Super stoked to be here. You have no idea. And he trekked all the way from the Upper West Side, and I'm so grateful he made the trek. You have no idea how far that is. I know it's so far, you know, us New Yorkers, it's, it's like the other side of the world. It is. It, I thought I, I had to check if I needed to bring my passport to come all the way over here, but then I found out you can come into Brooklyn without even paying any tolls or anything. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's not really as far as you think it is. It's just the, the mindset of going over the bridge. So there's this funny, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a human behavior scientist, and there's this funny study that was done that we actually think that going north is a harder trip than going south, because we're used to thinking of south as going down, and so it's downhill, it's easier, and north is going up. (laughs) So me going home now is going to be so painful because I'm going north. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's you'll make it you'll make it you'll make it john is a curator of people he has a thing called the influencers dinner and it's amazing he brings amazing people together and you can check out our other episode which goes way more in depth on his story and what he's created in the world over at neonradio.com slash ep 37 and how he creates his dinners but he's also got a book which i really wanted to introduce you guys to and it's on the science of adventure and i think there's something very important about adventure because it inspires creativity i know for me travel and adventure has informed a lot of my work and i wanted to bring him on the show today to talk about this science the science of adventure so first of all tell us about the book and and what inspired the book Uh, Well, let me begin by saying this, and I don't know if any of you entrepreneurs or listeners had a similar experience, but when I was growing up, I was incredibly unpopular. I mean, absurdly unpopular. Nobody wanted to hang out with me. In fact, my school teacher one day uh, decided to throw out the seating chart and uh, said we could all secretly submit two people we wanted to sit down next to and two we didn't want to sit down next to. (laughs) And through an unfortunate series of events, I discovered I was the least desired person to sit down next to. I was a geek. So I figured if I could apply science to figure out how to connect with people, uh, how to live a more interesting life, I would be able to get over this hurdle. And my hero at the time was Ferris Bueller from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I was like, (laughs) I want his life. And he was the quintessential, like, nothing will stop me. I will uh, overcome any challenge kind of adventure. And so over the next 20 plus years, I dedicated myself to figuring it out. And uh, one of the things that always kind of struck me as odd is that when people describe the most adventurous experiences of their life, they say it happens by chance or it was serendipity. Like one thing happened by then another, then another, and then we ended up in this situation. And that never made any sense to me because if it were all random, if it was pure chance, we'd all have similarly exciting lives and we don't. So I wanted to figure out what is it that people who live really remarkable lives embody and then learn from that so that Mm. I could and anybody could uh, live a more exciting life. And to even begin to do that, I needed to define what adventure is. And uh, I've actually been thinking about this a lot because as I define adventure, it has three characteristics. One, it is experience that is exciting and remarkable. Now, why... It has to be remarkable is that as a species, we've been passing down our knowledge through an oral history for millennia. Mm -hmm. And if it's not worth talking about, it's not culturally significant. Now, if you're an entrepreneur or working on a project, similarly, whatever you're working on needs to be remarkable. Mm. It needs to stand out in a way that people will care, will pay attention, or even the way that you describe it or communicate it needs to be like that. Mm. Uh, Otherwise, it's not going to have a cultural relevance. Uh, The second characteristic is that it possesses adversity and or risk, preferably perceived risk. So Nick, the listeners probably don't know this, we've been friends for a while. And uh, one of the things that I always love is that whenever I call you up or text you, because who calls anybody anymore besides me? Uh, <laughs> Just John. John calls everyone. Our Fred Daniel literally says there are only three occasions when my phone rings, when I'm in trouble with my parents, when there's an emergency, and when it's John. <laughs> this <laughs> is true. <laughs> so one of the things that I'm always impressed by is that every time I invite you to something, you're like, I'm in. You don't even know what I'm inviting you to yet. I'm like, hey, can you get a ticket to Jamaica this weekend? And you're like, give me five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But there's something about that, which is 
that you have to be in a situation that has adversity or risk. Now, a lot of people confuse real peril, like getting, you know, running of the bulls where I personally almost died. I got crushed by a bull Mm -hmm. with skydiving, which is really safe. Nobody actually gets hurt. The chances of you getting hurt are near zero. Similarly, as entrepreneurs, we take a lot of risks. But what's kind of interesting is if you look at research by Adam Grant, the fact is that the most successful entrepreneurs, uh, Adam Grant, by the way, wrote the book Originals and Give and Take. He's, I think, the number one ranked Wharton professor of all time. Uh, he discovered that people who are successful entrepreneurs actually have take on the least amount of risk. It just mm-hmm. is perceived risk. So the founders of Warby Parker kept their jobs and their internships long past the point that Warby Parker was successful just to hedge and make sure that they have a safety net. Mm. So I really focus on perceived risks because you can get that feeling of overcoming a challenge without actually being in any peril. Yeah. And then the third thing is that it brings about growth. The person you are at the end is distinct from the person that started, which means that if you look at any great journey or hero's quest, uh, the hero is fundamentally changed by the end of it. And that's true for any entrepreneurial or creative experience. It's as you go through the process of creating something, you are changed by the experience. Mm. And so I ended up going into this all thinking Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you know, and like adventure and The Hobbit and, you know, all this craziness. But really what I ended up finding is that it parallels everything from the entrepreneurial to the creative experience. Mm. And so what ended up happening was I, I started by defining what an adventure is. And then I went out and started doing crazy, crazy, crazy stuff to test it. So for example, um, I ended up discovering that every adventure has a four stage process Mm. and uh, each stage has specific characteristics. And so in, the first stage, you put the right elements in place so that anything can happen. And uh, a, a bunch of years back, I realized the importance of constraints. So um, have you ever heard of uh, Barry Schwartz? The, so there's this famous researcher, uh, Barry Schwartz. I wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice. Mm. And what he talked about was that there's a, that we all think that having more options makes us happier, but it's, actually not true. And the simple example is in New York, there's plenty of people you can date. And let's say you're dating, uh, but if you're from a small town, the options are limited. So let's say just to be crude and use a numbering system, uh, you have the option between dating a five and an eight. And you end up with the eight and you're ecstatic because the next option is the five. So you're super happy. Now you come to New York and you meet 10 different nines. Now, there are nines for different reasons. One's really smart. One's really comes from a great family that you love. One has a job that you really respect and admire their work and so on and so forth. Now, let's say you end up with one of them. You are quantifiably in a better situation. You have a nine rather than an eight if you were from a small town. (laughs) But every additional option gives you an additional point of comparison. So you end up less happy. Mm. And because you have so many options and so many points of comparison. One, you've, you're disappointed because you feel like if you didn't have any options, then it's the universe's fault. But because you had so many options, then it's your fault that you didn't necessarily pick the right one. Yeah. Well, similarly, in an adventure, having too many options is actually a bad thing. Interesting. So Schwartz says, some options are better than none, but it doesn't reason that more options are better than some. 
And what I often like to do when I go on a crazy adventure is I'll actually create constraints. And here's why. By having, by limiting my options, I'll give you an example. Let's say on the, any given night, it could be, I'm not allowed to pay for my drinks or I can't go any place I've already been. This forces me to be creative. Mm. I have to build an, a way of, or create a way to engage the environment in a completely new pattern. So rather than just going up to a bar and ordering a drink, now I'm forced to interact with strangers to buy me drinks. Mm. And so it's in the creation of constraints that we actually have freedom of creativity. Yeah. And it's, and, and that's where a lot of magic happens. So you look at, uh, what is it? Six word stories, right? Uh, where you have only six words to, to tell a concept. All of a sudden you have to be incredibly creative in the way that you express it. So one of the things that I often suggest for entrepreneurs, creatives is actually develop constraints that force you to think differently. You may not end up using that for anything, but just the activity causes your brain to function differently. Mm, I love this. I mean, this is, and this is like exactly, I think this helps creatives, you know, and it helps like, just like you're saying, it's, it's changing, it's giving yourself a challenge to create within so that you have the, the sandbox to play in. I love that. Mm -hmm. And you've done that with your life. Oh my God. So uh, every year I do a project where I drop myself off in a foreign country. I don't know anybody, don't speak the language, don't have a place to stay. And either I convince a stranger to put me up or I sleep on the street. And so uh, I did this in Nice in 2014. And literally I, it was like a Wednesday night. I knew nobody. I was stumbling through the streets trying to like find anybody to talk to. They were empty. The last train had left and I'm at a loss of what to do. I walked by an empty jazz bar and luckily I, I figured, oh, I should ask somebody who works in nightlife. And he suggests a place. And uh, I walk down a few blocks and I find it and the place is packed. It's literally like the only open spot in all of Nice. And I mean, when I say packed, the back room has nine park benches, uh, a live cover band, and every square foot of the tables and benches have screaming 20-somethings dancing to like the latest <laughs> pop hits. I'm like, this is it. You know, I've, I've arrived. I have to find somebody. So uh, I, you know, I'm looking around who I want to talk to. And I, I see this really very charming young lady standing with her friends. And every guy is walking up to her and getting shot down. And I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> so I uh, go to the bartender and I say, hey, you know, it's like 90 something degrees in here. And he, he's like, what do you mean degrees? Uh, because I was in France and I was like, it's close to 40 centigrade. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, I want a, a bottle of water delivered to her and her friends. And he drops it off and uh, she looks around, sees me and she's like, what's with this bottle of water? <laughs> right. Like I could tell she was super confused. And then she came over to me and struck up a conversation and she was like, why water? And I'm like, well, you guys seemed hot, like warm. And, uh, and so there I was in like the most coveted spot in the entire place. Everybody's like probably wondering who I am, why she came to me. But I underestimated one major constraint. Uh, French people often don't learn English. <laughs> and so there I am for like 20 minutes. And with every sentence I say, I'm sinking deeper into quicksand having no idea how to handle this situation. And uh, 
I realize that like if I have any chance of actually finding a place to crash, I'm going to have to pull the ripcord here and uh, get out. And so I excuse myself and I then go and try and strike up conversations with other people. I keep like completely failing. Either they're obviously people I don't want to hang out with or it's just like everybody's already grouped up and hanging out. Uh, but luckily I found, you know, I was, there was this like one last hope, which was every time I went to grab a drink, there was this group of four guys really dapperly dressed. And, uh, and so I went to get a drink. They were at the bar. And so I treated a round of shots and I said, gentlemen to the adventure, uh, let's make this epic. And, uh, we just ended up bonding. And so we went on a pub crawl. We went like shot for shot for a series of bars. And at like three o'clock in the morning or so, we all get into a cab and we go out like 15, 20 minutes. I have no idea where we are. They get out of the cab. They leave me with a bill. I've like, I thought they had abandoned me. I walk out and it's pitch black. And then they approach a building and the lights turn on. And it's a three-story chateau on the border of Monaco with a full service staff. Oh my God. And so I realized I'd never asked them like anything about themselves. I just thought they were some nice guys. It turns out that they were like extended members of the royal family, like famous British aristocracy, like the whole nine yards, right? And so I, I cook breakfast for everybody because it's now four o'clock in the morning. We jump in the pool and they put me up in a room like this in this palace. And then the next morning when the guys wakes up, pulls around like whatever it was, the Bentley or something. I don't even know what. And uh, gives me a ride into town. I get on the train and I'm like, that was the most absurd night. And it's all because of the constraints I set up. Because left to my own devices, if I didn't set up these constraints, mm. I would have never forced myself into those conversations. I would have never gone out that late with that group of guys. I would have, it completely shifted my perspective on the world. And so I created this as an annual tradition and <laughs> I then did it in Lima, Peru. I was in town for 12 hours. It was awesome. But yeah, I, I ended up traveling doing all these kind of crazy stunts. I love that. I love that. And you know, it's, it's, it's funny because since I had you on the show last time, I was really excited to bring you back on to, to talk about this whole idea because I have, you know, my, my hashtag has been create your moments. And I think this is exactly what it, what I'm talking about. It's the idea of going out and creating the moments in your life that you, you want to live to create a full, full, vibrant life. And I love how you break, break this down in terms of like, how does that actually happen? What's the psychology behind um, growth and experience and, and, and all that. And uh, I love the way that you've, you've done that in your own life. Well, thank you. Now I'm curious in, in terms of, uh, a, like what, tell me, tell us a little bit more about the book and what you kind of cover with these principles. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the book is all, first of all, it's called the 2am principle and discover the science of adventure. And there are two ways. Well, Let's go about it like this. The 2 a.m. principle is that nothing good happens after 2 a.m. except the most epic things in your life. Uh, either you should have just gone to bed or you better make it incredible. And, that, and 2 a.m. changes from city to city. In some cities, it's 1 a.m. like in Boston. Or if you go uh, to certain Latin American countries, you could end up that 2 a.m. is actually 5 a.m. Nothing <laughs> like people don't even go out for dinner until midnight. But the important part is that 
I've codified adventure. And so I claim that there are four stages. The first is established. You put the right elements in place so that anything can happen. And the most important of which is the right team of people. Mm. Because if you're with a great group, they can make a terrible event amazingly fun and vice versa. If you're with the wrong people, they'll make the event that you've been dreaming of attending miserable. A new location causes your brain to operate differently. It entices it to explore. Constraints cause you to be really creative. And an underlying mission drives group activity, Mm. right? So that's the things that you establish in place. You put it in there before you begin. Then the next stage is push boundaries. You have to cross some kind of social, physical, or emotional boundary. You have to grow from the experience. If you don't get outside of your comfort zone, it was a fun experience, but it wasn't an adventure. The third stage is increase. Here you maximize the emotional value of the environment that you're in. So if we're hanging out at a restaurant, I might use intrigue to pull people in. And so another table will join us. Or I might uh, get my friend to start freestyling and we'll serenade somebody. (laughs) Or whatever it is, the objective is to maximize what we can accomplish in the environment and get the most enjoyment from it before we move on. And then the last stage is continue. So it, we look at how to get where we're going, what kind of constraints we have, because transportation is a big issue. So if you, there are people in heels or if people have been drinking and they can't get behind the wheel of a car, all these limit where we can go, especially depending on what mission we have. And then if we choose to continue, we loop back through the process. Uh, but the most important thing by far is to end with style. And the reason is, is that human beings don't remember the duration of pleasure or pain, but we remember the peaks of an experience and how they end. Mm. So let's say you got on an amazing date and it's three hours long. And then in the last three seconds, something, your date says something awful to you. And uh, you're like, oh, I got to get out of here. And somebody asks you how the date was, you would say good or bad. It was bad. Yeah, it was terrible. And even though it was three hours of perfection and then three seconds of terrible. So the key is to end on a positive note. And the issue is that a lot of us like to push things past the point of enjoyment, we thinking that it's going to get better. But the number of pizza places I ended up at at four o'clock in the morning in my 20s was like not even reasonable, right? Like, oh yeah, we're going to go out. And my friends would be like, dude, we'll meet girls. And I'm like, no, we won't. We're at a pizza place (laughs) at four o'clock in the morning. Everybody's asleep. Let's just go home. And they're like, no, it's epic. We can still go and uh, play video games. I'm like, no, I want to go get some sleep so I can go out again tomorrow. (laughs) It's really okay. I don't need like a hangover. But the point is that if you end with style, not only will you be more likely to participate in the future, but also if, especially if you're going out at night, you'll wake up more refreshed and yeah. and so on. So it's that's essentially why it's called the 2 a.m. principle because nothing good happens after 2 a.m. except the most epic experiences of your life. Epic being establish, push boundaries, increase, continue. Ooh, I like that. I like yeah. that. How do you think we can apply this to the creative process? So I think that, well, first of all, let's talk about the established stage. We're putting the right elements in place. And let me point out, everything in the book is backed by scientific research. I went out and looked at the works of the, some of the top minds across the past 100 years mm-hmm. and uh, compiled them into the storyline itself. So let's look at team, right? 
there's phenomenal research by these uh, two uh, professors, Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler. And they were curious about uh, the obesity epidemic. They were curious, does, is obesity something that's passed from person to person or if it's kind of an anomaly based on genetics or something like that? And what they found was startling, that obesity passes from person to person, but not just one-to-one, but up to four degrees out. Mm. So if you have an obese friend, your chances of being obese increase by 45%. Your friends who don't know them, 25%. Their friends, 10%. And their friends, 5%. Wow. And it turns out that everything flows through social networks like that, from voting habits, smoking, marriage, divorce, fitness... But that's also true for creativity in the sense that if you surround yourself with really creative individuals that push you, then it shifts the nature of the conversation that you have. It inspires you to take action. For example, you have a podcast. How many people the moment they hear that are like, oh, maybe I should start a podcast. Yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah, and but they don't realize how difficult it actually is to do. Right. And but... That the important part is that if they had enough people around them that have popular podcasts, then they're almost certain to take action around it because it becomes such a part of the cultural conversation. Mm. Now, you want to talk about creativity? Curate creative, exceptional human beings around you. I've had the pleasure of, uh, because of the influencers, surrounding myself with some of the top creatives in our culture. And I had this amazing conversation with Stefan Sagmeister. Uh, from Stagmeister and Walsh, probably one of the top, if not the top graphic designer in the world. And he shared that if you look at his arm, it looks like it's covered in birthmarks. Uh, But actually, a lot of the spots are a byproduct of, were tattooed on, because he matched his arm to another person's. And they, so now that other person (laughs) has his birthmarks as tattoos, and he has their birthmarks as his tattoos. Oh, crazy. But that was such a brilliant idea. And then I found out that completely independent from that, Alexa Mead, uh, who's another painter, has every time she has an important experience in her life, gets a fake birthmark added to her body. But her goal is to forget which ones are real and which ones are fake and or added. And then she won't be able to she'll misascribe importance to certain ones and she loves the fact that it all becomes her. Mm. So getting to spend time around people like this literally causes me to think in new ways and in different directions. So part of it is in the variety of the experience, the exploration of not just people and curation, but in being in new locations with different cultures. Your brain actually operates differently. Mm. Uh, It's found that the uh, there's a section of the brain that activates when you're exposed to something new or novel, causing you to want to explore and understand it. And it rewards you for that. Wow. Wow. So the other thing I would recommend, especially if we look at it from the established characteristics, we've talked about team, we've talked about location. Setting a mission catalyzes support and creativity as well. So I'll have a mission like convince a stranger to give me their underwear. (laughs) That's not very artistic. But... As an entrepreneur, as a, as a creative, uh, it's important to set a goal and it might be get, you know, an exhibit, but I think it's also interesting to set goals that are beyond that, that are more to catalyze the repetition of creativity. So I have a, uh, one of my best friends is an artist and let me say, take that back. Not one of my best friends, my absolute best friend in the world is an artist. His name is Liam Alexander. He shows up a lot in the book because he's 
just as crazy as I am and <laughs> even more creative. And uh, he worked on one of his missions or projects was he created a new original work every day for I think a month it was. And it was in the practice of having to be that creative that often mm. that he developed his techniques so significantly. So one of the stories I love is I read a few kind of case studies about Saturday Night Live and the writers of Saturday Night Live and the cast literally have like a week to produce an entire show. And it's regardless if it's good or not, it's going live. <laughs> like they don't get to, you know, call out sick on a rainy day or something like that. Right. They're going. But in that high pressure situation, we've developed or they, they developed as some of the greatest writers, comedians and creatives in our society. And it's because they put themselves in that pressure cooker. Mm. It's because they had the constraint of a week and a mission that was so clear. And that repetition and that practice and that practice forced them to develop an incredible skill set. Wow. And so it always comes back to when you go through an adventure, either Saturday Night Live or dropping yourself off in some foreign country, uh, the person you are at the end is different than the person that started. Mm-hmm. And you, the gift isn't just the outrageous stories and the laughs and the experience and success and the failures. The gift is the person you get to become and the skills that you develop over time. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. You know, and I think this is a great way to try to get out of a place. If you're creatively stuck, you can give yourself these challenges and missions to play around and have those parameters. It's really So there's something called the winner effect, which I think really applies here. And it turns out that um, if you overcome a challenge of some kind, like you're an animal in nature battling and you win, you have heightened testosterone afterwards, which leads to greater confidence and a better chance of you beating your next opponent. So it gives you an advantage. And this continues to happen with every challenge you overcome. Now, if you spend, if you win too much, then animals tend to get excessively confident and get into unnecessary fights and getting killed, Mm. or they spend time in the open in nature thinking that they won't be hunted and then they're eaten. But I've actually been affected by this. So when I was in, on July 7th, 2013, I went to Running of the Bulls in Pamplona mm-hmm. and uh, I trained for months to make sure that like my cardio was in good shape, that I'd run. And I made it through the run. It was the most exhilarating experience. And uh, when I was in the stadium at the end of the run, I thought that was the end of it. Like you go take a seat and you watch like a bullfight. What I didn't realize was that they let the bulls in one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> to go toe to toe with like about 400 of us that were in there. Oh, yeah. And I'm not sure if you've ever had the distinct pleasure of going toe to toe with a 1500 pound beast that's been starved for no. five days. No. That's being taunted and is angry. But when you're that high on adrenaline and testosterone and dopamine, you're not making logical decisions. So I run up to the bull and I touch it. <laughs> And I run away and then I'm like, okay, what more could I do? And I like run up to the bull and I slap it on its ass. <laughs> I jet. And then I decide, you know what would be brilliant? The way the bulls enter the stadium is that they run in and people lie down and the bulls jump over them. And uh, I decide I'm going to lie down. <laughs> I take the safest position I can. And the bull literally slips, misses its jump, lands on my back and crushes me and everything goes silent. Like 4,000 people can't hear them. 
I think I'm hearing like my ribs cracking under the weight. I go completely numb. And I'm pretty sure like in that moment, time stopped and I thought I was paralyzed. And, um, and I remember having this conversation with myself that either I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life, or I'm going to accept the fact that I chose to live as an adventurer. And this is just maybe one of the unexpected consequences. And uh, I might be paralyzed. And luckily, <laughs> time started again. I was somehow able to stand up. And what it turned out after being sent to triage and nobody being able to help me because they're pulling bodies out of the way and then ending up in an emergency room in a hospital, uh, the bull crushed and essentially destroyed the, the muscles in my left shoulder. So my hand was okay, my arm was okay, but I couldn't move my <laughs> shoulder. I was in wheelchair service. I had to have friends uh, put me into bed and take me out. Six months of the most agonizing physical therapy. But the important part, or what we were talking about, is uh, the winner effect, which is if you get a win and another win and another win, it really builds your confidence. And it really does wonders for creating momentum. The only risk is getting too big for your britches, right? Thinking that you're better than you are. So for those of you who are in a creative rut, one of the things I recommend is to set up a few small goals and just knock them out and knock them out and knock them out and set slightly bigger ones. And the key is at a certain point, you'll get your body reacting and the testosterone increasing and the creativity flowing. But you can kind of hack creativity in that way or play games like create constraints and just say, here's a challenge by the end of the day, I have to accomplish this or in the next 20 minutes and, and literally catalyze it or surround yourself with creative people or go to new environments. All these things have the potential to trigger something, but sitting at home, uh, feeling sorry for yourself definitely doesn't get you there. Yeah. It's easy to get in a hole, a uh, mental hole. <laughs> if you're not, if you're not progressively moving. Yeah. You know, I spend, a significant amount of time traveling. I came back from 12 countries in two and a half months. Insane. And, you know, it's exhausting and I'm happy to be home right now, mm-hmm. but it's also inspiring and incredible and, and really catalyzes new ideas. I, although I do really miss my friends when I travel. <laughs> I know the feeling. I mean, travel has always been a space of adventure and inspiration for me, even in my own work. So yeah. Isn't your book, doesn't it cover a lot of different locations or something? But, yeah. I think there's like probably 30, 30 or 40 locations in there. I've been to probably over 70 countries. And I love, love, love your photos from Antarctica. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Cause you, and you recently went to Antarctica yourself. Yeah. yeah last year's uh, travel project. Every year I do one. I was every continent in one year. That's insane. So in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, Africa, somebody tried to slice my throat because they thought I stole their soul. In <laughs> Antarctica, I, uh, I, I took a photo of them. So they thought I stole their soul. Uh, in Antarctica, I set my trip's polar swim record. I lost all feeling in my arms and legs. <laughs> Zero degree water, just as cold as you'd expect. Yeah, yeah. I did, I did the same, the same uh, polar jump. Uh, then in Europe, I went literally everywhere and got to hang out with my family and went <laughs> island hopping in Croatia and all that. What did I do? Uh, South America, I, that's how I got to Antarctica, but I spent some time in the jungles of Panama and I went to, um, what else did I do? Oh, that Lima, Peru was where yeah. I did the experiment. So, you know, and I live in the U S but I traveled all over. Yeah. Uh, so it was fun. That's great. Are you setting parameters for all these trips that you go on or is it just certain trips? 
So I, I guess the answer is yes and no. So I always travel with a few experiments. Like my last big trip, I took a large collection of flasks with me to test out one, how useful they are. Right. So <laughs> I, I got ones that look like sunscreen, but it's a flask. So I could take it onto the beach and whatever, but nobody cared if I had a regular bag or bottle with liquor. So it didn't really matter. Yeah. So I realized those are useless. Then I had the bagged ones, which were also useless. The only, so I ended up uh, having uh, these flasks and then I'd give them away to people as memories. And I oh, thought that that was great. really nice. So now they have like this memory of this crazy night. We all hung out and party together. I love that. Well, let's just wrap it up here. What's the biggest thing you've learned from creating these adventures around the world? The big lesson, I think by far, is that the scope of your life, the size of it, is in direct proportion to how uncomfortable you're willing to be. Mm. And so the big thing I wish to everybody is an incredibly uncomfortable life. Because you can't be an entrepreneur or creative or even do extraordinary things in your work environment if you're not willing to be uncomfortable. That's great. I love that. I love that. Because I think, you know, especially when you go out and create your moments, there is an uncomfortable mm-hmm. space about that. And, and you're always constantly growing. And the funny thing is I fail far more than I succeed. Luckily I get to post the successes on social media. <laughs> so people don't find out about all of them, but I also try to be really honest about like, okay, embarrassed myself today. This is what it looked like. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love that. Well, John's got so many adventures of around the world in his book and lessons to go along with that and how to break down adventure. So go out and pick it up. It's very exciting. I will pick it up when it comes out. Thanks for coming on, John. And where can people find you on online? Uh, I'm John Levy TLB, just about everywhere. So it's J-O-N-L-E, V as in Victor, Y as in yellow, T like Thomas, L like lion, B like boy. So you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, or johnlevytlb.com and you can find everything there that you could possibly want and certain things that you don't. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for coming on. Absolutely. And thanks for having me on. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of Neon Radio with John Levy. I am your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode... Love it if you could help me out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes, sharing this post on social media, and you can do that by linking neonradio.com slash EP106. That's N-I-O-N radio.com slash EP106. So with that, everyone, I would love to hear how you use John's principles to create your moments and create your art. So please share with me whether it's via email, Facebook, Twitter, social media, Instagram, at Nick Onkin. And with that, you know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time. Mm